In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Sometimes you don't know why God gives you a certain thing to say, and it's the only thing he seems to give you to say, but what I continue to know is this, the job, the responsibility of the preacher, of the Christian, is to observe reality as it is and to speak truth into it for the salvation of souls. And so this morning, Jesus says to us, I have written these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Yet in stark contrast to that statement, I think we all know this, there is an abject lack of joy in our world today. Look up any reputable resource on the psychological state of people in the United States and the list of mental health problems that people are facing is profoundly disturbing and distressing. Depression is consistently at the top of the list, followed right behind by anxiety, several forms of addiction, suicide, and post-traumatic stress disorder tend to round out the top 10 on these lists. The list of potential remedies is broad and diverse. Everything from yoga and meditation to counseling and various kinds of medical care is prescribed. Significantly, Christ and Christianity are noticeably absent from these lists of proposed solutions unless you specifically look for and at Christian resources. And although we recently prevailed in the abortion battle after years of slaughtering the innocents, thanks be to God, the sexual revolution that began decades ago now openly mocks the institution of marriage as if it were a high school dating game at best and something it is objectively not at worst. And now the battle lines have moved to the very core of human identity. If you don't like the gender that God gave you at birth, that God gave you at birth, you can now assume an alphabet soup of identities. And the medical community will assist you in your transition, even mutilating children, all in the name of modernity. Let us not ignore our media pundits and the current political climate, where personalities and politicians with differing ideologies are treating each other with outright contempt, talking not about ideas but about each other in ways that are contemptible. As our culture continues its ideological attack against Jesus Christ and Christianity and Christians, our country, our people are experiencing the devastating effects of this vitriolic campaign. But what is even worse, the battle is not just coming to us from the outside, it's also being fought on the inside. You see, in the very same span of time, many mainline denominations have fractured, fragmented, and disfigured their doctrines so badly that many will tell you that you can believe just about anything and still call yourself a Christian. And my friends, this isn't just unpleasant. This is consequential. 
This is eternally, eternally consequential. And in a world that is increasingly hostile toward Christ and true Christianity, where civil discourse is silenced by shouts of intolerance and threats of violence while trying to cover truth with the insidious shroud of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and in many cases because of the slick messages and powerful marketing campaigns and the political machines, every day people are choosing hell and they're calling it heaven. And what is worse, many don't even realize the dire consequences of the choices that they're making. The image I've used so often to describe this reality because it's so compellingly accurate is from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, where the witch, who is dressed in white, notice the imagery, offers to the young child, don't miss the target audience, Edmund, Not something that is so repulsive, disgusting, and unattractive that he wouldn't want it anyway, but something so appealing to the eyes, so soothing to the taste that he can hardly resist it, and he doesn't. And yet the moment he takes from her this Turkish delight, he gives her his soul in return. Did he even realize the consequences of the choices he made? Does he even know that what looks and smells and tastes like heaven is actually leading him down the path to hell? You see, this is the very trap that so many people find themselves in today. In a world that calls evil good and calls good evil, people are confused. They are deliberately being deceived by a devilish agenda that necessarily hides the consequences of their unfortunate choices while attacking Christians by trying to make us look like the monsters because that's the only method the enemy has to try and accomplish his motive, which is to kill and to steal and to destroy. But here's the other thing that I know. The other thing that I know because I have lived it, I have experienced it in my own life, and I know it because countless others have told me about it in their lives, and I think you know it too. Sin is fun until it's not. Sin is fun until it's not. And what I mean by that is this. We all have a conscience a moral compass that God himself has given us and it knows right from wrong. So that whenever we choose wrong, we always know that there is a right and that we're not choosing it. Helping us see that no matter how fun sin may seem at the time or how far we may fall along the way and here's the good news that Jesus is there to rescue us to save us from our anxieties, our depressions, our addictions, and whatever else it is. Let me say that again. No matter how fun it seems at the time or how far we may think we have fallen, Jesus is there to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us from whatever it is. Cutting through the mixed messages of the political world, the culture, and even the false doctrines of some denominations with the clarion call of the gospel, the good news of God in Christ Jesus, let us listen to it again. 
I have spoken these things to you. I have spoken these things to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the good news. This is where it's okay to smile. This is the part where it gets really good because God himself has spoken these things to you that his joy may be in you and your joy may be full. There is no joy in political rants, is there? There's no joy in the secular society. There's no joy in the marketing machine of the media. The qualitative thing that is lacking in our secular world today is joy. There's no joy in the destruction of the family. There's no joy in the mutilation of the flesh to try to make us into something we cannot be. There is certainly no joy in preaching a false doctrine within the church to to try and scratch the itching ears of those who are unwilling to abide in the truth. My friends, I want to say this as plainly as I possibly can. These things are the very sources. These Things are the very sources of our depression, our anxiety, our suicides, our murders. The simple fact of the matter that I have said and will continue to say is that the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot give what they do not have. Simply put, we will never be satisfied by the things that are intrinsically unsatisfactory. I want to lay before us an idea and an image this morning from our friend C.S. Lewis, himself a former atheist, as many of us know, that became a Christian. In his book called Surprised by Joy, Surprised by Joy, he describes joy in this way, just Be with me here when I say this. Joy is that unsatisfied desire. Joy is that unsatisfied desire which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. Oh, the sweet irony of this unsatisfied desire. How can an unsatisfied desire be more satisfactory than any satisfied desire? What is Lewis saying when he's torturing us with this wonderful idea? He means what we already know to be true in our hearts. That what we get here on this earth is a glimpse of heaven and a glimpse of hell, and the ability to choose how and where we will spend all of eternity. Lewis means, as he says elsewhere, that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
I won't ask you to say amen, but it is okay to smile. And it's, it's hard, isn't it? Reality is hard. Life is hard. We can't ignore it. We can't avoid it. We can't wish it away. We have to address it head on, and we have to deal with it because this is what it looks like. So if, you're in, if you are in that place this morning where you can feel that tension, the battle that rages in every human heart between the pain of this world and the promise of the next, let me encourage you, you are not alone. We all feel that tension. Wearing a collar and these fancy, funny clothes doesn't make me exempt from the very real struggles of this world any more than it does you. We all feel the tension. We're all engaged in the struggle. Even so, even so, the invitation to joy is the same for you as it is for me, as it is for everyone. Here's the magic formula Jesus gives us this morning. You ready? It's very complicated. Abide. 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 And so that all who have taken the time this morning to hear this message are crystal clear and not confused, let us finally ask and answer the question, what does it look like to abide in the love of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to abide in his love? Here's what it means. It means to to sit with him. Think about how you're sitting with your families right now. Think about how we're sitting together as the body of Christ right now. To abide means to sit with him. It means to stay a while. That's what families do, isn't it? They, they stay together. It means to remain with him, to live with him, to dwell with him. That's why the Bible gives us the image of the bridegroom and the bride. That's, that's exactly what it looks like for us to abide with him. It means to join the community of sinners that we call church who are struggling to become saints. That's all of us. That's every one of us. It means to search and to study the scriptures together where Jesus makes himself known to us. It means to participate in and to partake of the sacraments where Jesus Christ himself is present with us. And in doing these things, my friends, this is what it means. It means to encounter the one. Hear me clearly. It means to encounter the one who looks through our faults and meets us in our deepest place of need. It means to experience the one who does not condemn you because of your sin, but sets you free from its shame. And finally, it means to embrace the one who gives us the victory of eternal life even in the midst of our earthly death. And along the way, this is what he does. He heals us in body, in mind, and in soul. And as he does that, he renews the joyful hope of eternity in each of our hearts. And then maybe, just maybe, having heard all of this, It means to ask ourselves these questions. What 
what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Why did I come here today? Is this coincidental? Is this accidental? Is it just Mother's Day? Or does God have a divine purpose to meet you here? What is it that I'm looking for in this life? And where do I turn when I'm faced with the troubles, the trials, and the temptations of this world? If you are described in any way this morning as someone who has an unsatisfied desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, then I will answer in this way. If it is joy that you're after, then Jesus is where it is found. If it is joy that you're after, then Jesus is where it's found.